When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Doing the things I'm asking to do, really. You know, whether it's being in a certain position on the receiver and making sure that we're playing this area, that area, I mean, you know, without, I don't want to get too technical, but they're doing things a lot better. Come on, Mike, that get was technical. An expert level filibuster to dancing around a question uh-huh. and not saying anything without saying nothing, Which, without saying absolutely nothing. Generally, Mike Zimmer, not very good at doing that. No, But he no. was for your question. Uh, All welcome. I wanted to know was the cornerback rotation, man. Uh, very, I don't know how it works. Very, very clear he was not going to break <laughs> that down for you. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Alex Boone with us for Hour 1 here today. And you're going to stick around for some hot routes later yes. on the show. Uh, I want to start you guys out with a fun scenario, and you mm. could tell me whether you like this or whether you don't like this, because I was looking through all the different playoff possibilities for the Vikings, and in some of them, Week 17 really matters. It matters to if the Rams were to win two out of three and the Vikings lose two out of three, the Rams have the tiebreaker, so you would go into, or I guess you would go into that final week needing to get a win there to make sure you keep the Rams one game behind you. And I'm going to make this case. I want to see it happen. I want to see the Vikings in Week 17 have to win a game here against the Chicago Bears that matters. And I will tell you why, and you guys can tell me if I'm crazy. The reason why is because Kirk Cousins has not been tested that many times this year, and when he has, they have lost games against good teams. Now, there are other times, came back from 20 points, deserves credit for that, beat Dallas on national TV, they're kind of bad, but still deserves credit for that. But last year, went into Week 17, and it was the last taste in everyone's mouth, him falling apart, him doing the thing on the sideline, going nuts with Adam Thielen, I would love to see Cousins have that opportunity in Week 17 to exercise the demon against a great defense with the playoffs on the line and, in a way, prove to himself and the rest of the team that he can win a game with everything on the line right before they go to the playoffs. Crazy, not crazy. You start, Alex. You're crazy. I think You're crazy. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that you don't, you're not believing in Kirk, and you're like, listen, I want to see one more game. Dude, you're that guy. First of all, you are officially that guy. <laughs> I haven't seen enough. I need to see more. Okay, dude, listen, we've showed it to you. We even showed you when Dalvin's not there, what do we do? Well, we speed it up and we let Kirk move around, and that's how we like to play the game. I'm telling you that if they go into the 
Bears game needing a win, and they put it on Kirk's back, he'll get it done. All right. Tell you what, what do you think, Courtney? Crazy? Well, I, w- I agree with Alex in the sense that there's always going to be these truthers that think, what? Just one more. Just one more. And you see one more game. I need to see him in this situation. I need to see him on grass when it's 56 degrees out and the humidity yeah. is 45% uh, with a light and mist in the air. There's always going to be that sort of naysayer, naysay mentality to try to justify what is he going to need to do to earn the next big contract. Um, personally, if you are a Vikings fan, I would say don't put anything on Kirk's shoulders against the Chicago team. This team has had his number since he's been here the entire time. He's 0-3 against his team. And also, I pulled up uh, the the box score from last year's game, the 24-10 final, where the Bears had literally nothing to play for. They yep. were already in the playoffs. Pulling starters um, second half. Khalil Mack was in the game. Leonard Floyd was in the game. Everybody, And they kept them in in the second half, which I thought was interesting. But I think back to that fourth quarter drive that lasted nine minutes, 15, 16 plays, 75 yards, and what that did to the Vikings' defense. Given the uncertainty with this defense right now, I don't think you want this game to mean anything because if they have to pull it out, if somehow Kirk falters, let's look back at what happened in that game in that fourth quarter because that was a deciding drive because it was a 13-10 game at halftime, and that blew it right open. Okay, so don't misunderstand me being the person who doesn't know about Kirk until the next week, and then I decide. No, I'm I, th- not being that no person. I think we understand <laughs> what, what, that. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at, though, is for himself and for the rest of the team to to have week 17 be a game where Kirk Cousins could go against a very good Chicago defense not as good as it was last year but it certainly looked good in week 4 against him and to have all the stakes on that game for them to be in the playoffs to come out with a win i think would mean something to how they could perform in the playoffs with the belief that they can actually do it and now i i would say for most quarterbacks they would have a playoff win of his caliber or or they would have a lot of games where we would say well he was big in that game even if he lost that one but you go year to year 2015 they get in the playoffs they get a double digit lead they blow it they lose kirk cousins plays very poorly 2016 they can get in the playoffs final game of the season guess what they don't 2017 there's a couple of games there where he needs to play well and keep them in the playoff race he doesn't and then last year a complete meltdown on the final day of the season he has so much history with this with falling apart I think it would be great to see him have stakes for Week 17. And then, you know what? It would mean a little something to me if I'm the team and I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to stick with him long-term. Because if every time he's good, he doesn't go over that hump, well, then what are we doing here with this much money going to be poured into this guy? Well, wouldn't you look at it as the week before, meaning all that much more? Like, because that could be the division on the line, theoretically, in Week 16 with Green Bay. Like, if he goes out and beats Green Bay, they take care of business at home, and they're in a position now, potentially, I was messing around with the uh, playoff machine last night, potentially in a position to get the third seed that day. Like, that to me would mean more than a, a Week 17 game where it's backs against the wall because there's going to be a lot of room to blame a lot of different people if something goes wrong, not necessarily putting that all on Kirk in Week 17. Agreed. I think that's fair. And about, Here's my question. Say he goes out on Monday night and beats Green Bay. Is everyone going to get off his back a little bit more? I think I so. Okay. I think so, absolutely, because just of what, the implications, Alex, of what's on the line there right. for the playoffs. Yeah. And it's huge. You're right. And, and that's going to be like a whole team has to understand. There are a ton. Like home field to start the playoffs is huge. And then however you have to go in from there, yeah, that sucks. But to have that game at home 
at least. I mean, dude, that is huge, huge momentum for a team like this. So, so you guys are saying that you don't care whether Week 17 has stakes on it or not. I, I mean, I, I could see from a fan standpoint where you would say, well, of course I don't want it to. I want them to right. be able you to play to Sean Mannion yeah. and, and start Mike Boone and not right. watch that game and just worry about my turkey dinner that I'm cooking for uh, whatever, post-Christmas meal or something, right? Um, I, I can understand that that viewpoint. I think from, I mean, maybe it's part of me just enjoying fun and drama that it would be great to be able to build up that game and talk about that game as it matters. But I also think any time that Kirk Cousins can have one of these games where it matters and it's meaningful, that it gets to go into the sample size of how you feel about him. And uh, whether it's just, well, we've set him up with a nice system and a lot to work with because if you were going to pay every quarterback the same, then you would want Kirk Cousins. It's great. But you're going to have to pay him like $40 million a year. So then you see Ryan Tannehill step into a really good situation. All of a sudden, he performs really well. And you see Jimmy Garoppolo, and you see Jared Goff fall off when his situation isn't as good. And, and so you're trying to decide, is this a guy who can really get us over the, the top? I want that sample size to increase. I also just think if you're a fan of football, you don't. You don't want to watch a game that doesn't matter. You want that thing to be dramatic, and you want your team to come out with it. And if you don't believe in your team, that's another part of this whole scenario that I'm laying out is, how much do you believe in them? How much do you believe in in, in Kirk? Because if you say, oh, I, I wouldn't want Week 17 to matter. Gosh, no. I mean, everybody else fall apart, please. Then you're saying, well, I don't really buy into this team. Well, if you can get him a week ahead of schedule, essentially, and have him win that Week 16 game against Green Bay, to me, the stakes are even higher because right. that is the division right there. Yeah. Like that has the possibility of helping them, you know, not have to go to Green Bay in the first round to play a playoff game. Like that's huge, and, and to me, that matters more. Like. He has two opportunities here, like you're pointing out. Like If Week 17 does matter, um, that's it in its own right. And also, it does matter in the sense that he can't be 0-4 against the Bears, regardless of whether this team is already clinched at that point. I don't know what the scenario particularly looks like, but if it is a possibility, you can't be 0-4 against the same team that has had so many misnomers happen to them this year. Like, you know, you can't go and beat beat Dallas. You can't... Um, I don't know. You can't be. I would say it would mean just as much, if not more, beating Green Bay than a lackluster Chicago team that's going to try to be playing spoiler at that point. Because if they're, they could be out of it this weekend. If the Vikings beat the Chargers and the Bears lose and the Bears are playing the Packers mm-hmm. in Lambeau, then Chicago's out and they're going to be trying to play spoiler and they're going to be right. trying to ruin Kirk Cousins' day like yeah, they have try. for the last two years. Yeah, they'll try. But. I just, I don't know. I mean, you could have two opportunities for two games. Like, let's not overlook Los Angeles, by the way. Like, yeah, you said to me on Sunday that you have some weird thoughts about this. Yeah. Um, and Someone's I missing a field goal at the end. I just don't know who. Ooh, yeah, but um, predicted it. It's just <laughs> to me with this Green Bay game. There's so much more at stake that could ever possibly be with that Week 17 game. Well, unless it's for the unless entire playoffs, is which is what I want. That's what I'm saying. Uh, well, so and you, 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 might you get just, you you want, just can't get on board. I think you're going to get what you want because the Rams have been playing really well. They're going to make a push for it now. And not only that, but you look at what happened this last week with the Niners falling all the way to five, but then jumping back up to one. Like teams are starting to catch their momentums and teams. Are starting to fall back, and then they're catching it like Seattle. To me, Seattle's a great team, but man, if you catch them on an off week, they don't look good at all. They just look really lackluster, and wow, they look very beatable. But when they're hot, they're hot. Then you have teams like 
San Fran that are just playing really, really good football. And uh, the Saints are playing really, really good football. And the Vikings are playing really, really good football. To me, those are the teams that you need to watch out for. They play good every single week. They're not hot one week and then the next week they're like, oh, my God, we got a football game? Totally forgot about this, guys. <laughs> that, to me, like when you look at that Seattle game versus the Rams, you're like, dude, what, what, what? What was that? Wait, who is Jared Goff? I thought we were writing this guy off. Now he's back? Like, way to let Seattle has has trounced the number one team and then come back and let a team that's kind of in the hunt kind of not trounce them. Like, it's, dude, you can't play like that in this league. And that's what's going to make these teams that are kind of in the hunt, they're going to make them really hot and hungry. And like you said with Chicago, whether they're in it or not, they hate Minnesota. So yes. they're going to play them tough. Does it matter if their backups are in or if the coaches are on the field? They, for some reason, hate the Vikings. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. But when I played them and I was here, it was like, dude, we hate you guys a lot. It was like, why? I don't know. We just hate you. It was like, all right, well, let's go then. It's, it's, they're going to be tough week 17. I would be prepared. But like you guys said, do not. Not overlook Philip Rivers. Um, all right, so let's uh, look at this NFC playoff picture right now and talk about who you don't want to face. Because right now, the Vikings are set to, if things stayed the way they are, set to go New to Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. Yes. I'm all for that, personally. I'd rather go there Ooh, than Green exception. Bay. That's a personal thing. Yeah, well, it'd be a great little trip for us, but I don't think it would be a great trip necessarily for the Vikings. So th- there are still all sorts of possibilities for who they could play. They could still end up with San Francisco, I think. They're 11-2, and two, but if they lost a couple of games here um, and they face the Rams, that's always a possibility, too. So almost anything could change. Let's even include... Can we include the Rams even in this conversation for who they could play? Probably not. I don't think they could get to that point. But if we're talking about San Francisco, Green Bay, New Orleans, Seattle, and Dallas is the obvious one you would want to play. But between those other four, Alex, who would you most and least want the Vikings to play against? I mean, I want them to mostly play the Green Bay. I think that the Green Bay game up there in Lambeau, I I get – like I, we, we mess around a lot. Like You say he's washed, and I say he's not. He's another team. They're up and down too much. You, you can't do that, and he knows that. That's why he's so frustrated. He's like, listen, guys, we got to hit a smooth trajectory here. If we keep going up and then taking steps back and then going up and taking steps we've gone nowhere, essentially. We've just stayed in place. So you go up in Lambeau, yeah, it's going to be cold, but I, I want to play there. The last place I'd probably want to play would be San Fran. I think that that's a team that's really hot that people don't – they kind of overlook – um, obviously, the Seattle game was close. We saw that. That could have been a lot closer. Um, but it's the Saints, too, that's another place. I, I've never wanted to go down there like, yo, I want to play this game down here for the playoffs, for everything. Like, That's a tough place to play. If you're talking about I, I can pick and choose, I want to go to Green Bay. I don't want to go to New Orleans or San Fran. If I had the option, if Seattle was somehow – that somehow worked, because they could technically still win the it, NFC could, North. Yeah. Um, excuse me, the NFC West. Like – Kyle Rudolph said it. He's like, we could be back here in a month. And I think that they realized how close they were had they not had three fumbles in that game, had Kirk not had a single read on fourth and three on the final play, had the defense not stunk. Like, right. they had a chance to win that game, and that was they were that was within their grasp. Had they grasp. not done everything wrong, they <laughs> yeah. had they played won. good exactly. football, they would have won. <laughs> so, <laughs> so hard. I know. Um, I'd say Seattle and Green Bay. Green Bay is vulnerable at this point in the season, and I know we talk about December football. Like that's when you should be playing your best football. I don't know if I can really say that about the Packers. I think they're just ha- they're um, beneficiaries of playing a really bad schedule, of playing a last place schedule in the month of December that's going to set them up potentially for that two seed. But 
I just, this team has not had good luck in New Orleans previously. If I don't know if anybody remembers the 2009 NFC Championship, but like that is a hard place to play. I don't want to go against Drew Brees in the playoffs. Um, outside of those final six quarters uh, of the 2017 season, or, you know, really looking at those final six quarters of the 2017 season and what they did in the second half with the Saints and letting Breeze come back. Like, that's stuff yep. that's probably going to happen from the jump this year. They're really, really good. Um, much better than that 2017 team. So, I mean, I would not want to go to New Orleans if I'm the Vikings. Personally, Courtney wants to go to New Orleans. <laughs> <Yeah>. Courtney <laughs> wants to go hang out on Bourbon Street, but yeah. not not if I'm the Vikings. So, I, I look at the other environments there, aside from Green Bay, as being unusual for the Vikings as well. It's not like they go out to San Francisco all the time. I think it was 2015 opener was the last time they went out to San Francisco. Yep. That did not go so good. And uh, New Orleans, it's not like they're making trips down there all the time. No, they kept coming up here the last the few years. I don't even remember the last time that they went down to New Orleans. It they had a preseason game this year. Yeah. That doesn't count. But but, but in the regular yeah. season, I can't remember the last time. I'm sure someone can. Uh, maybe if Manny was here. He remembers everything. So, uh, But aside from that, it's an unusual environment that you have to go into. Lambeau, you do every single year. Right. You've coached there. You've played there. You know what it sounds like. You know what it feels like. You know how Aaron Rodgers plays better than anybody in the entire world knows how Aaron Rodgers plays. And if we're comparing those two quarterbacks, what I saw on Sunday from Drew Brees should be terrifying to everyone. I know they lost, but he let a game-winning drive, essentially, and yeah. just left too much time. Puts up 46 points. Like uh, I think his thumb is okay, everyone. And the way that Michael Thomas is playing right now, like a guy who could win an MVP as a receiver... That would be team, uh, aside from San Francisco also, but that team especially, I would not want to go down there. I think the Vikings should be rooting to go to Green Bay, which does sound weird, but I it think does, it's the best matchup. It? And it sounds I, very likely, too. Yeah. It does. And it's it, like you said, dude, you don't want to go down there in New Orleans. With Michael Thomas playing or the way he is right now, like kind of possessed with Drew Brees, they kind of have this mission to go out. I mean, think about it. With two minutes and 19 seconds left this last game, we were all like, that's too much time, dude. You you guys messed up. But then who would have thought we would have said with 53 seconds left, you left too much time for Jimmy G. Like, this is what's showing that both of these teams can do it against really good teams. They just showed it against each other. Hey, listen, whatever you can do, I can do better. And George Kittle going down the field 40 yards carrying half the team. Like, that should <laughs> yeah. fear a lot of people, too. That's a really good team right now. They have a great defensive line. Like, hey, guys, listen, I watched this last game. I know we won. And if I hear a win forgives all sins anymore, like, I know I say that, but that's like what you say when you know the game looks ugly and you're like, <laughs> hey, just forget about it. Like, there's some things up front that you're like, man, we should, we should, we should work on this. We got to talk about this stuff, guys. Uh, well, that it kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you guys. Yesterday, Mike Zimmer said that he feels like the best football from this team is yet to be played, which is also under the extreme cliche category. Oh, but yeah. I, I want to know if you guys think it's true. After the way they played against Detroit, it was an ass-whooping, even though the scoreboard wasn't as bad as it could have been if they had kept the pedal down. Uh, what do you think that means, Alex, for this team to play their best football over these last uh, three games? It's huge, dude. It's what we've been talking about. This is where you need to clean up all those little nitty-gritty things. A few things showed up last week against Detroit. Some miscommunications, some safeties just running through the line. Like, dude, you can't – you cannot let – I mean – that's a defense that's supposed to be elite because their defensive coordinator slash head coach is an elite coach that comes from an even more elite guy. But that was not at all good. 
And they were just throwing guys through random gaps, and guys were coming free. When you have a really good team, those things get cleaned up. They don't look as glaring. You're not like, what? Did that just guy just run all the way through from 15 yards back? Nobody saw him? What was that? Those are the things that you got to clean up going forward. And he's right. We haven't played our best football. When this offense starts to take off, dude, it is going to be awesome to watch. And I'm not, I'm not upset. I get it. This last game, it's one of those games like, hey, listen, we have a really tough stretch ahead of us. There's this one team in front of us that shouldn't even be a problem. Let's just go out there and handle our business and get the hell out of here and get focused. And that's kind of what you saw. There's times they stall out. At times it's like, wait, what? What the hell was that? Did he just overthrow that like 10 yards? Like, yeah. what, what yeah. was that? You know, and that drives you nuts as a player. Like, oh, God. Well, we won, right? We're good. Let's move it along. Come on, let's go. Let's move it on to Los Angeles because this is a team coming up that's going to be, that they're going to test them. And I don't care what anyone says. You're going to the West Coast. That team will test you. And Kirk mentioned it on Sunday that he didn't feel like this team could really take a, a big step forward and kind of like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's, you know, letting your guard down against any team right now. Like, you shouldn't. We should be able to chalk up the the Chargers game right now as a win, but I don't think you can because during this final stretch in December, weird things happen. They lose the, they lose a lot of games. The Chargers, that is, in very strange fashion. Yes. Um. So just you don't get that comfortable sense. Like I don't think anybody has that sense with the Vikings. Like okay, yeah, put it on cruise control, Madden mode the rest of this season. Let's get to January. No. There's still a lot of vulnerability in this team. There's a lot of vulnerability on offense. Like. I walked away from that game Sunday, and I know, of course, the fan base, by and large, wants to say, yeah, bounce back win, resiliency, dominance, blah, 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 all that nonsense. I didn't. You should do that against Detroit. You should do that against a backup rookie and his third start, third string quarterback. Like, the fact of the matter is, it was a good win, but you shouldn't celebrate it because you should beat the crap out of a team like that. So I don't really know how I should feel because I feel like they should do the same thing to the Chargers. But at this point of the season, nothing's guaranteed. And then you're set up for your two biggest games coming down to week 16 and 17. That's not a situation I think anybody wants to be in. Like we opened up the show talking about, do you want week 17 to matter? No team wants week 16 or 17 to matter. You want to take care of business so you're in cruise control and you can focus on resting guys um, and be in a situation for the playoffs. But like with this team playing their best football yet in the month of December, how many things can truly turn around with the defense, that is? I mean, yes, we saw depth come... Uh, play a big factor in the in the win against Detroit, but I still have a lot of question marks that I'm not exactly sure are going to get solved in the final three games of the season with that unit. Well, the answer for that, tell me if you agree with me on this, Alex. My answer for that would be that Zimmer finally acknowledged that there was an issue with Rhodes and yeah. finally did something about it, which... If you're going to talk about playing your best football, playing the guy who is the second worst corner in the NFL in quarterback rating against, playing him less is an improvement right there. Just taking right. him off the field more often and maybe even giving him a chance to to rest a little more and, and be healthy at the end of the game, as healthy as he can be or fresh, as fresh as he can be at the end of the well, game. Well, he ended up getting himself hurt. Yeah, so well, we'll see, how, we'll see how that ends up going um, through this week if he's even going to play. But that's another scary thing, like him hurt and then Mike Hughes. I haven't heard anything about Mike yet, and it's kind of like, wait, wait, what's going on? And then you throw on top of that, what the hell is going on with Walt Anderson's crew? I mean, they gave them more yards than that team actually earned. What was going on? Uh, uh, I did dude. lose a second-half press box bet for how many flags there would be. Dude. Once the Vikings started running every play, I was like, ah, I'm not going to get to my seven-and-a-half flags. <laughs> um, but, but in terms of making the argument for 
you know, how this team can be better. I think it starts with Zimmer making the right decision in playing my cues more often. And the other part of it, too, is we don't know exactly when Adam Thielen is coming back, if Adam Thielen is coming back. But if he does, then you can play even better football on offense than you have been because you've just got another elite wide receiver to throw out there that you can even be more dangerous than you were. I I, I think there is an argument to say they could be better. Sure. And I mean... You have one relatively, I'm not going to word, whatever the word for not easy, but easy. You have one relatively one of those tests coming up with the Chargers. And if you can get Thielen back, if you want to stay with his cornerback rotation, which Mike Zimmer, when I asked him about that yesterday, was noncommittal. Of course, he's not going to say, yeah, we're going to play Rhodes 35 snaps and Mike Hughes 30 snaps and Holton Hill's going to come in in the second quarter. Like, there's, they're still working that part out, but you can play better to specific matchups. Um, and against, you know, when you think about week 16 and you think about how you want to handle Devontae Adams, I'd start working on that game plan now because it didn't really work so well in the first half of that game in Green Bay in week two with, with Xavier Rhodes. Um, how, how much different this offense can be? I mean, this is your chance to test it out for when you have to potentially go against a, a Saints defense that's playing really well, against a 49ers defense that might be the best in the NFL. If you can get Adam Thielen back and incorporate, okay, what kind of offense were we without him? Now what kind of offense can we be with him? I mean, this is the time to do it. If right. uh, How do you think he's going to mix back in, I think, is, is a yeah. question, Alex. Do you, do you think, I mean, you're talking Thielen? about, yeah, you're talking about a, a bunch of guys <laughs> who stepped up here, though. And, oh, and I agree. Who have done really well in his absence. Agreed. BC Johnson showing up big this last week. I think the young guys are coming along great, which around this time of the year, the young guys either need to show up or they're not going to show up at all. And you're seeing that with this depth, and that's what's huge, and that's what's going to help this team in the playoffs when guys do get dinged up or nicked up, and it's like, hey, listen, these guys have done this before. They're all veterans at this point. We are all prepared. You're not throwing a young guy out there in the playoff game like, hey, man, don't screw it up. All right, big dog, you got this. <laughs> He knows what he's doing. He's been there. He's ran those routes. He's already been yelled at by the quarterback. He's been yelled at by the O-line. You know, these guys have been in these huddles. They're not just super shocked. So I think that's huge. But when you throw Thielen back in, you talk about how how is that going to affect the defense? Who the hell is going to blitz you again? I mean, you officially going to have to throw away all the blitzes. Like, you're going to – all your exoticness, all this that the defenses can really throw. Because what is it? I mean, everyone's trying to target Diggs right now and, and obviously, you know, going for Rudy. But other than that, when Thielen comes back, teams are going to be like, oh, okay – Blitz percentage just got cut in half and then cut that in half again because this team just got to full strength again. Um, let's take a break here. And when we come back, Alex, I need you, your and Courtney's opinion on what is going on with the Patriots. Because oh, I have thoughts. Uh, I, have, uh, I, I have long wondered what the Patriots were doing now. Like since they had been quiet for a little while, and uh, I think we got our answer. So I, I want to hear from you guys on that. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them a successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll keep it short because we've got a special guest on the line. Just want to remind you, listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, open Score North and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say, Alexa, open Score North. 
That's been your Score North download because, caller, take it away. All right, thank you very much, Jonathan. We welcome in one of my favorite players ever to cover as a journalist and a, a guy who played in the National Football League for the entirety of time, former Vikings cornerback Terrence Newman. Hi, Terrence. How are you? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Well, here's what everybody wants to know, Terrence. Where are you? What are you doing? What you been up to? You coached last year. You played since, like, the 70s all the way up until <laughs> two years ago. So uh, w- what is life like for you now, buddy? Life is simple. My golf game has gotten better, and I don't wake up with sore shoulders, hamstrings, <laughs> and all that stuff. So, I mean, I can't complain one bit. I mean, Terrence, it is great to hear you. That is all. Hey, I got to know, Terrence, what is up with you not coaching anymore? Well, I I was actually crazy to coach, like, the way I did it last year. You know, from retiring on one day, waking up the next morning, having to get up early and go into the coach, like, you know, playing for so long and having a routine for so long, I feel like, you know, after after doing it last year, I was like, you know what? I actually gotta actually retire and take some time for myself just to you know do some things that I haven't been able to do since hey, before college. You know, because I think college is when it gets really you know you you really have a schedule. But yeah, I just needed some time to kind of do, do my own thing a little bit. Terrence, what was that like? So they, so you make the switch from being a player. You go through training camp in 2018, and then, and then you retire. I guess quasi retire there, right? And then you become a coach about a day later. Like how how weird was that? I guess just not going to the locker room, having an office, and just kind of how quick of a turnaround that was for you to have to deal with in 2018, where you were a part of a position group, and then you are a coach of a position group. It actually was more of a blur. I mean, being being you know a player and having played in that system for quite a while, like it made sense. You know, I, I was coaching. I've been coaching guys since you know my last year in Dallas at at, at the least. So I mean, I, Dallas, I was basically coaching Cincinnati. I was coaching. We brought in some DBs. So, you know, I had to help them. Minnesota was the exact same thing. The first year when when Trey was drafted, you know, I was I, w- I knew they were going to draft the corner. So, obviously, I wanted to help them get up to speed because, you know, you, you need everybody in that in secondary. So, um, but long story short, I mean, I've been coaching for way longer than, you know, most people realize it, but. That's why it made sense. That's why it was such a good fit is because I had I've been doing it, you know, for quite a while, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't a capacity like I did it last year, but at the same time it was kind of the same. So it wasn't it wasn't that hard for me to get adapted and adjust. Um I think the biggest adjustment or adjustment was the fact that I had to, you know, get in super early and then leave super late. Um I did that as a player but I would still probably be there, you know, three or four hours after as a coach as I, than I was as a player. So that was the biggest adjustment. Talking with former Viking cornerback Terrence Newman. So, Terrence, you know, you're taking some time off. You're working on the golf game. Um, but ha- has there been times where it's sort of 
hit you that you wish you were out there or that you um, might be jumping back into the coaching game eventually at some point? Like, what Ooh. what is that like to have that space in your life after, I mean, you just you played forever. I know I've made some jokes, but you really did play for such a huge part, portion of your life. Yeah, actually, it's kind of weird because, you know, I'm watching games now, and I'm yelling at the TV. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like, okay, T, you got to chill out, bro. Um, but it, it was it was weird because, you know, it was it was kind of like, I feel like what fans feel like, you know? You're, yeah. you're sitting at TV, you're watching, you know, your boys. It's different in that aspect. It's like, these are friends of mine. Uh, but... Man, I get fired up on this couch. Like, I started yelling at the TV. Dude, I, I miss you until you get All right, fired up. You know up. what? I need to go back to Minneapolis. I need to go out there, help a couple guys. But then, you know, you watch other games on TV, you're like, well, sh- shoot, I can still do this. I mean, that wouldn't be that hard. But then, you know, reality, you're like, yeah. I had mentally, mentally kind of prepared myself for retirement for a couple years, so. As far as me wanting to get back out there, that's not going to happen. I don't have any thoughts like that, but uh, it, 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 you know, you watch games, but it, it, you think about it, you're like, man, it would be fun to just play one last year. But Dude. that's not something that I would look forward to. What's crazy is that I know you said mentally you've kind of been like, listen, I've crossed that chapter off, but physically I know you could still do it. I know you could still keep up with these guys. And that to me is incredible. It shows to your character, not only that, but to what the consummate pro you were. And I want to know it from your opinion. When you look at this Vikings offense and you see that it's a run first type of team, does that change your mindset when you go into this game? Or are you like, ah, oh, it's just like every other game to me? No, I mean I, I think when you have a run first game, it's it, your mindset changes a little bit, but you know, you know, you have Diggs and Thielen and, you know, you got a couple of younger wide receivers and tight ends that can play. So, you know, you, you know, you're going to have to get dirty going in and tackling, you know, big oh, yeah. backs and doing stuff like that. But at the same time, all their passes are, you know, off the of run actions. It's, you know, the old, uh, Houston had, used to have that, uh, you know, the Shanahan, um, Denver had that for a while as well. So, you know, you, you just have to kind of understand how how you'll be attacked uh, in a run first offense. Right. And you know, you, you're as a corner, like your first your first thing is okay. I I have to protect passes, right? And then you react and, and read the run. So obviously you go out and plays. Um, it's when you get caught peeking, when you, you're just guessing. That's when you get in real trouble. Right. And, and and speaking to peaking, I've seen this year the linebackers have obviously been fooled on many teams on play actions. Does that go to the credit of the running back, the scheme? Is it the defense? I mean, so many teams have been, been getting crushed on the play actions this year, and most of the linebackers are in the backfield. I mean, is that what do you attribute that to? I think it's, it's ball fixed by the quarterback, but also uh, design. I mean, it's, think about this. If you have all your runs, look, if all your run actions look like passes, so your, your linemen, they're all going the same way. It looks like they're blocking hard, you know, trying to make a hole. And all of a sudden, your quarterback boots the opposite way. I mean, that's, that's tough on a linebacker because right. you're reading your keys. You're reading your, you know, if you have the back, you're reading the back, you're reading the guard. He's, he's aggressive coming out run blocking. It looks like a run block. 
but he's not getting upfield. I mean, it's it's tough on a linebacker because it's you got to make a decision that quick. Okay, run, pass, and then you have to play off of that. So um, I, I think that you know all the the run actions was pretty much similar. And then you just have the quarterback booting a little bit. So it's pretty much off the quarterback and the lineman. The scheme basically is is what makes that that go. Terrence, I'm curious from your perspective, um, now watching these games on TV and seeing your former team, Mike Zimmer's been pretty adamant that the past defense uh, this year is not where it's been in the years past and that he's been trying to fix it as much as he can. With this cornerback unit, um, what's your take just on, on the way that they've played this season and just kind of some of the ups and downs that they've had back there? Well, I'm I'm always optimistic. I mean, what is there, there's three games left in the regular season, I believe, or two games. Three. And three, yep. Three, yeah, well, you really want to get hot about now. So, you know, everything that's happened up to this point, you know, you, you look in the mirror and you say, if, if, if you're going to be honest with yourself and you really want to get better, you have to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I have to play better. Um, I saw Xavier, you know, said something of that nature last week. Um, but a secondary is is there's four or five guys back there, so you know there's there's plenty of of that to go around. You know, guys just have to you know work on technique harder. You know, work on understanding what's what the call is and where you're you're vulnerable. And and you know, understanding your vulnerability that's important in the game, especially at corner uh, and nickels. So I, I think I think the guys will be okay. I think they're gonna you know. Get it together in the next three weeks. It hasn't been terrible. Let's let's be honest. I mean, you go to Seattle, you give up over 200 yards rushing, uh, you know, and and that's that's tough to cope with. So you talk about pass defense, but pass defense and run defense go together because you obviously want to make a team one dimensional. If they can't run, you know, they're going to pass, and if they can't run, they have to pass. So you're going to get more passing yards. So hand in hand. Talking with Terrence Newman, former Minnesota Viking cornerback. Uh, Terrence, you arrived in Minnesota 2015, and you saw this team draft Eric Hendricks, Daniil Hunter, Stephon Diggs, and Trey Waynes in the same draft. And now when you look around, Daniil Hunter is setting records for youngest guy to get this many sacks, you know, to get over 50 sacks. You see what Stephon Diggs is doing, trending toward making a Pro Bowl. Even with Adam Thielen out, he's continuing to dominate, and Eric Hendricks should be in the Pro Bowl this year. Um, do you remember that as being a turning point to get you guys to where you were at the uh, NFC Championship? And I guess, do you have some pride in their success of, of being a guy who helped those players become what they are now? Um, I, I can't say I helped uh, most of them. I mean, Trey, I, I definitely helped out, but Daniel, Daniel is is <laughs> that guy is super special, man. I mean, he's he's a talent that comes around, you know, just every so often, and you hear about you know guys like Jadavion Clowney and JJ Watt. You know, guys like top guy Von Miller, guys like that in the game, uh, and TJ Watt. Like these guys are all like you know huge talents, and Daniil is just right there with them. I mean, if you if you talk about who's the best in the game right now, I mean Daniil's name has to come up at some point. Um, that guy's special. Eric is special. He's he's 
got the highest motor of any linebacker I've ever seen. Uh, and Diggs has obviously been, you know, a great talent. Um, guy who's worked his butt off, you know, sometimes his emotions get the best of him. But as a, as a player, I mean, you got, you want a guy who's, you know, highly motivated, you know, has a lot of, you know, emotions running through him. But, you know, sometimes it can hurt you. Um, and he's seen that this year, but these guys are, these guys are amazing, but also you have to give credit to, you know, the scouts with the Vikings because, you know, they've got a lot of these players. Like you said, they got all these guys in the same draft. How is that possible? You know, this is, this is, you know, a team that does their due diligence and they go out and they get players. Terrence, I got a question and I know you're going to be mad at me for asking, but I got to ask it. Do you think Wait, it's can a I fish? ask you one question first? Of course. Can I ask you one question first? Of course. Have you had any slip ups yet on air? You know what I'm talking about. No, not yet. You know what I'm talking about, Booty. <laughs> no, you'd be proud of me. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Not We've one. done a lot of radio together, and he hasn't even really come close. He's done a great not job. Close. Boom, what the heck happened, bro? <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's still there. It's just always been like this. <laughs> you, you, this is not you. I, I don't. Who are you? Terrence, I'm trying to be more like you every day, believe me. I'm becoming more godlike. I love it. It's, it's incredible. Listen, I got to know, because before I let you go, do you think this team okay. has officially become an offensive team over a defensive team? Ooh, now that's a good one. Um, that's actually a really good one. I would say my answer is going to be a little bit conservative, just so you know. That's but with with this offense practicing, practicing against this defense, you know, this has been a defense that's been, you know, I, I, I believe it's been top ten defense in the in the league for quite a while now, right? Oh yeah. And then you've got an offense that you know struggled a little bit here and there, but always have been able to do one or the other, and now they can do both. So I feel like you know you're going to have some lows in defense uh, as well as offense. So the important thing is is when one is not functioning at maximum capacity, the other one has to be functioning at maximum capacity in order to win games. So I think they complement each other. There's times where, you know, the offense may struggle and the defense has to pick up and vice versa. So um, I, I don't I don't see one being technically better than the other. I just think that, you know, you have to complement each other. No different than also in special teams. You have to have... You know, you you've always have to have your special team at, at maximum capacity. Right. But with offense defense, you're, one's gonna one's gonna during the game, one's gonna not play so well, and the other one has to pick up. All right, Terrence. The last thing I got for you, because I know you got golf to play and maybe wine to drink or make or whatever. Um, tell us what it's <laughs> like to be in a locker room with Alex Boone. Oh man, Boone is is, is like the life. I mean, he's. He's got a well, like a bevy of knowledge. He's very knowledgeable about different things. But for me, I just love listening to his, his choice in, in, in words. It's <laughs> impeccable. I mean, guy that can go out and blow up a lot of things with some missiles and bazookas and rocket launchers, <laughs> shoot bullseyes on targets, and then come in and tell you about it in, in, in his very choice words so he, to me he was a great leader I mean there were guys that you know when things were going well some guys won't you know they're not comfortable speaking up but 
Boone has always been that way. You know, when things haven't been going well. And I think defensively you see that a lot, but it, it, I never really saw it a ton on offensive guys. When I was in Dallas, I saw it quite a bit. But, yeah, Boone was Boone was definitely a, a, a big leader on the offense, and, you know, I always appreciated that from him. And we've had many discussions talking about times when we needed to take stuff, you know. It was just awesome that I had a guy who was also a veteran that, you know, I could speak to and we could talk about things like that and how, how can we get better as a team. That's kind of our relationship. And, you know, we just shoot the shoot the breeze a little bit. You thought I was going to cut, didn't you, boom? <laughs> we, we got a dump button. We can deal with it. We have ways of dealing with that if you did. Um, well, Terrence, I, uh, I, I appreciate all your time, man. If, if you want to get into a media career, we have openings. Um, you would have to work with Alex, maybe, and that could be problematic uh, <laughs> no, with, with no, the dump no. button. But uh, no, Terrence, uh, you're one of my favorite players ever to cover. Uh, somebody who's willing to break down the game for reporters, which is kind of uh, unusual sometimes for players. So I always appreciated that from you. And you are welcome on the show anytime you want to talk some football. If, you've, if you're screaming at your TV and you want to vent, talk some ball, we're here for you, buddy. Hey, yeah, and I'm here as well. So if you guys ever need me, I'm down. And, uh, boom, we could, we could make some things happen, brother. Terrence, we could, uh, I'm in for sure. You were always my favorite player. I loved being right next to you in the locker room. Hey, we could, we could be like talking Joe Thomas 2.0. We could make this happen. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we can help you get a, you get your own podcast together and we can get you started. <laughs> uh, Terrence, great stuff. Great to catch up with you, man. Appreciate your time. No problem, man. You guys have a good one. And, uh, I guess we'll have to do this again soon in the next couple of weeks. We will. Yeah, we sure. will. Playoff. I would love to hear from you about playoffs. So we'll, let's uh, let's do oh. it then. Okay, buddy? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right, fellas. Let's go, baby. Thanks, dude. New. God, I love that guy. Terrence Newman awesome. there. Okay. Well, it took us an extra week to get him, but that was uh, that was terrific. Um, and I will just tell you guys a quick Terrence Newman story. Uh, my first year covering the team – and I had been covering hockey before, so I wasn't full football guy. Like you know, I just watch football and know it, but trying to really understand how the game worked. And I went up to Terrence and I said, "I want you to tell me why you think Stefan Diggs is a good route runner." Now, most players would be like, "Well, you know, he's quick, he's fast, and he tries real hard." And you'd be like, right. "Okay, let me just write that in my notebook and move right. on with my life." Right. He said to me, "Well, what do you know about route running?" I was like. Nothing. I mean, other than... Which is a fair assessment. Right. That's Try real hard. Right. Run real fast. On Madden, my guys are always wide open. So so then he said, let me break it down for you. And took about 10 minutes to talk about all the different elements of route running that would make Stefan Diggs a great route runner. And I just can't say enough about how much I appreciate that, right? Like when someone is going to break it down for you, so then you see it every other time after that, it, it changes your entire perspective. So like one player who's willing to kind of coach even a reporter and say, here's how this works, it was just a great experience. So I'm glad we could catch up with him. Tino was awesome. He was the leader that the locker room needed. He was one of those guys, like, you saw him. Like, he was calm for a little bit, and he was giving very, very meaningful assessments, and all of a sudden he got really excited, and then all of a sudden he starts, like, bantering back and forth. Like, that's the kind of guy in a locker room you need. You need a guy that kind of fits in everywhere, right? A guy that you can talk to, a guy that will listen to you and truly listen and give you great advice back, and then a guy that, like, you can bounce ideas off of, and a guy you can yell at at times, and is like, listen, man, I know why you're yelling. It's okay. I'm not upset. I'll take it. I'm your guy. That was T. New, and, and he was the consummate pro. I mean, the guy played how many years? He was unbelievable. 
Literally, literally one million. Love him. <laughs> Love that. Guy. I don't think it's far fetched to say either that this cornerback group, um, they, a lot of the struggles are because he's not there. And it's not just because at 40 years old that he would still be playing nickel and, right. and he His would advice. be starting there. But the leadership aspect of it, I mean, these guys are going through a funk right now. Mm-hmm. If Terrence is there in coaching, um, and, and that's no knock on, on Jerry Gray or, or Mike Zimmer or any of that, I just think that he had a way with these guys. Go talk to Mackenzie Alexander. Go talk to him and see just how far he's come and just from the mental aspect of buying in and playing a position that he didn't want to play. He wanted to be an outside corner his entire career. He fought it for the first three years of, as a Viking. And look at where he's at right now in line to get a nice extension from Minnesota that he's worked for um and he'll credit terrence newman for the coaching and just kind of the the fire that he got lit under lit under his ass i mean that's exactly what he did with Ter- uh, with mackenzie alexander for those final two years uh that he was in minnesota and there are a lot of guys here that you know owe him a lot of credit because of what he did to help them uh succeed because he knew this defense i mean mike zimmer was so fortunate to have Terrence Newman at every stop because, you know, what Terrence was saying when I asked him about, you know, switching from, you know, he goes into the final Friday of the preseason in 2018 and then is retiring probably because he was told to retire uh, or get cut the next day and then he becomes a coach. Like, he was coaching long before that. He's been coaching since Mm -hmm. he was in Dallas because he knows this defense. And when you lose something like that, when you lose that presence, whether that person is a player or actually in a coaching capacity, that's a tough pill to swallow. And uh, and I think I have this right, Alex. I was told, and hopefully I do because I wrote it in an article about Newman in 2017, (laughs) that he would hold his own film sessions for the guys where he he would be breaking things down with them. And... I thought that was kind of the difference between the Minnesota Vikings 2017 and Minnesota Vikings 2018 is the 2017 locker room had Teddy Bridgewater, Terrence Newman, Brian Robison, all these guys, and then those guys were gone. Case Keenum as well. Those guys were gone, and I thought there was a, a pretty significant void there that I'm not sure has ever been filled since. I agree, and we've we've talked about this before, but you just named three guys that had a massive impact on the team. I mean, talking about Brian, and he was one of the guys that controlled the defensive line. I mean, he was one of the guys that ran that group, and and people probably didn't know that, but he was the one that they all looked to. And if he was like having a great day, the rest of them were having a great day. And there were times that he sacrificed himself so other guys could get plays. And you know, you talk about a guy like Terrence and Teddy. I mean, could you ever? compare anybody to Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, talk about one of the nicest people I've ever been around. Like, I felt like a terrible person shaking his hand. And I felt like I, I was like, listen, next time you don't have to do that. You know, I, I'm sorry. I'm real sweaty. My hands get sweaty. Like, he looked at me all funny. I was like, listen, just, I gotta go. I'll see you. But they were, and then everyone's like, walk away, they're like, seriously, the nicest guy is. And he, I was like, yes, he is. He's just kind-spirited in the eyes. So I, I, I was listening to um, Pat McAfee talk about leadership, and he was talking about how there are certain guys you just don't want to let down, that everyone yes. plays harder because they yeah. don't want to let down. I think that all three of those guys were like that. Yeah. For sure. I mean, think Absolutely. about Holton Hill's case. I remember when he was coming up as a rookie, um, Terrence Newman spent that, those extra sessions that you talked about. I remember yep. talking with Holton last year about it. Is he in the same situation that he's in now where he suspended the first eight weeks of the season and has an incredibly long leash? Had he not gotten up to speed in one of the most complicated defenses to play in the NFL? Had he not had Terrence Newman? I mean, you have to think about the lineage here and like a lot of the lines that you can connect back to, hey, this player is really good because he was around this guy. 
Like, yeah. I mean, there's Alex, I'm sure you have people like that in your oh, career. Yeah. Like that guy helped make me who I am. Like, obviously, players have their own talent, their natural God given abilities. But when you're around somebody with that kind of leadership and that kind of skill and the longevity to play 20 something years um, in the National Football League, I think that 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 carries a lot of weight. I also think it uh, speaks to the fragility of a defense. Like, you know, you take one piece out and you think, oh, we'll just put in this other guy. But then you don't realize some of the domino effect there that can happen. And that's where we're at. And I didn't expect Terrence Newman to um, throw anybody under the bus. But, I mean, I I do agree with him that I think this uh, secondary will improve with Zimmer's adjustment here. But I don't think it's ever going to be what it was a few years ago when Terrence Newman was there because he wasn't just old and playing, which is how we, how we always talk about it. And like, man, old, still around, eh? Still got um, it. But, you know, uh, I'll, I'll go to your favorite PFF numbers, which I oh. am, I am efforting, as we say in the business, Alex, to have someone from PFF on with you so you can pepper them with questions. Do you have the dump button ready? But, uh, Is it ready? Okay. I, I think you'll actually find a lot of common ground um, with with a lot of things that PFF talks about. But uh, Terrence Newman's numbers were still great into the end of his career. He was still a really effective player, even in the last season where he was kind of rotating more in and out. He was still one of the better corners at uh, his nickel position in the entire NFL. So you take that piece away and it's just a little bit different. Um, let's take a break, guys. I got some hot routes for everyone who wants hot routes. Hot you routes. I love hot it. routes. Not hearing the enthusiasm for hot routes, Courtney. Go ahead. Woo. All right. She's like, I didn't know Fine. about hot routes. What's no, I'm actually looking I, at them right now. You better be ready, Courtney. We yeah. fire. If, oh, they come fast. All right. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. A bunch of questions from around the league and a thing that happened last night that uh, made me very upset. So we'll uh, continue that conversation. And I got to get Alex's take on the Patriots filming people again. We'll talk oh, about no. it. Can we start with that? Coming I had back, nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> hey, can we, wait. On this. can we talk some Patriots stories? Because I have a really funny story about the Patriots. Yes, let's do okay, that. Let's and then do we'll that. Hot routes. All right. Yes. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 980! All right, if you missed any of our interview with Terrence Newman, make sure that you go to wherever you get your podcast or scorenorth.com. You can find it there. Just type in Purple Daily and you can listen to our very fun chat with Terrence Newman. So before we get into our Hot Routes, Alex, uh, when you saw the news that the New England Patriots had been doing a massive finger quote documentary that oh, just, yeah, so, don't say. just so happened to be filming the sideline for an extended period of time. Terrible. Eight minutes of tape of the other team's sideline for, quote, B-roll. I, I'm hurting my fingers. I'm <laughs> quoting them in the air so much. Um, what, what was your, your reaction? I mean, I laughed. I laughed hysterically because you know how many people fall for this? They're like, oh, Bill had no idea. Let me tell you <laughs> something. We went there one time, okay, to Foxborough. Let me tell you, 
Everything about that place is terrible. Did you see that the luggage didn't show up until an hour before yes. the game? Yes. So wait, do you, do you Listen, think that they diverted that to Newark, like no, the Patriots yes, personnel people yes, did that? Okay. Yes. Watch. Let me tell you why. Have you guys ever been on a on a plane before when the team's getting off? Like a team plane? No. Yeah, have you ever been on you've never been on a team plane? Okay, listen. The team plane lands. It's one plane. Some teams had their own planes, like in Arizona, we had our own plane. The first people that stand up, the only people that are allowed to stand up and get off are the equipment guys because they have to get the equipment. Every team I've ever been on, the first people to get off the plane are always the equipment. The players have to wait for equipment to get off because they have to unload all the bags, take it over to the stadium, unload it all, put everything in the locker. Like an hour before the game, whose bright idea? Like, hey, Jerry, listen, let's go to the bar. We'll come back tonight. Who's gonna <laughs> Who's gonna take a plane? Who's gonna take? Where could it go, dude? It went to Newark. Like, dude, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. But true story, we go there. We're in the hotel. Good night, good night, good night. 3.30, all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. Of course. Everybody comes out of their rooms like, dude, are you serious with this? They're pissed, super pissed. And we've heard that like stuff, they're like, everyone warned us, something's going to happen, guys, just be prepared. So we're like, all right, it's on. So we all go back to bed, fire alarm's going. 4 a.m., the fire department shows up. Everybody out of your rooms now. Oh, We're like, dude, gosh. are you serious right now? They're like, we don't care who you are. Harbaugh comes down. He's like, listen, I'm going to tell you one time to get the hell off this floor right now. He's like, I need to check every room. There's something fishy going on here. Like, we're like, dude, is this guy for real right now? Is this, is this really happening? We were one of the only teams to beat them in December. Let me just tell you what happens when you poke the bear. It bites back. You're welcome. It's a great story. The fire department that. shows up. We're so yeah. pissed. I was. Everybody was, was cussing these guys out. They're like, do you want us to call the cops? We'll call the cops. <laughs> At one point, someone's like, call the cops. It's game on now. We'll do this right here in Boston. I got three kids all named Tom and Brady. Now you get out of there. <laughs> uh, yeah, always always the best. Just a documentary. Uh, like, as if, as if you could work Terrible. for the Patriots and be wholly unaware of the past history of the Patriots and how this could look weird if you're filming the sideline, right? Like, just Dude, so many coincidences. Signals. Terrible. Dude, they're going to get in trouble now, for real. I, I hope they do, because, they will. like, here's the thing that irritates me. Like, I've been thinking about this after the stuff came out yesterday and then just thinking about all the things that Bill Belichick and the Patriots do that piss me off. First off, the... <laughs> NFL 100. I was having this discussion with somebody recently. Why is one coach, current, the one coach who is currently coaching, like why is he a part of that committee? That really does not sit well with me. Why is Bill Belichick helping decide the top 100 players? Well, you could say, okay, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he's been around. You know how much access to footage and film that he is able to have through that entire NFL 100 process that any other scout, anybody in a personnel department does not have? Like, that is something that nobody talks about, nobody thinks about. The access that he has to so much wealth of institutional football knowledge. I mean, Christ, look at his father's library at the Naval Academy. It's not, like, every book that is about the the institution of football and the basis of offense and defense that we know it in the history of the game, that's at the Steve Belichick Library at the Naval Academy. So, Long line of stuff where it's kind of like I'm playing chess, the rest of you are playing checkers, the rest of you have no ability to catch up here. But I just find it so comical and so stupid 
that the Patriots came up with this statement to try to make it believable. And some people are Even really... Even they used this before. They believe well, it. Is, There's so many exactly people that believe it. This is exactly what they did yes. against yes. Deflategate. They had a yes. thing come up and be like, I, you're not crazy. I'm not crazy. You guys are crazy. You think we'd be cheating on this. Like, let me tell you how advanced scouting works. From my understanding from talking to people in personnel departments, you would never send a camera crew to film how your advanced scout is doing his his or her process of... of getting the advance ready to bring back to whichever team to present on Monday after not sleeping for 24 hours. I mean, it's an incredible process, the painstaking process. And it's one that you would never want to share with anybody else. Like, I don't care about your little video series here. Well, that doesn't here, require like, the other doing, team's sideline to be videotaped. But, but right, like, just right. from the believable part of, like, if you were filming, you doing a profile on every single player, or every single player in your personnel department, like in your front office. So whether you're doing your equipment guys, you're doing, you know, your general manager, your cap guy, whatever. Advanced scout would not be one of those people. College scout would not be one of those people. General managers are so freaking paranoid in this league that they would never allow. Like they're like the way that the Vikings do this. Because I looked at the seating chart and I've looked at it before. You're allowed to have one advanced scout from the other team. At your game, and if it's the team you're playing, their personnel department can obviously have more than one person there. That's just how it works for the Vikings hosting people and when the Vikings go elsewhere. So the fact that the Browns, like, credentialed another photographer, a videographer from the Patriots, knowing that there were now two people Wait, from the, the Browns Patriots. Browns made that, a mistake here. And that's what people are like, oh, well, it's the PR department. Excuse me, it's John Dorsey. It's it's the GM. Like, that guy has the final say. Like, it don't give a crap who, what, what media is there. It doesn't matter. But when it comes to personnel, it's a different animal. And that's what irritates me here because it's a lackadaisical approach where everybody's, like, put, going all in on the Patriots. Like, let's, let's share some of the culpability here because certainly the Browns are just as much at fault because they allowed this idiot in in the first place. <laughs> I think uh, the Browns have way more problems in their own facility than who they're letting in. They're like, listen, we're just trying to keep people out. Which is exactly, the by the way, where I want to start our Browns. I so love it. I if, did it for uh, you. You can ramp it up there, Jonathan. I think anybody with any sort of reasonable mind believes that the Patriots. Well, I just hope just, that the NFL. Exactly. Oh, they definitely I hope the they're NFL holds cheated. their foot to the fire on this because they they're in. They're in bed with Bill Belichick and the Patriots as it is. Yeah. So they won't. You know, they give no them every chance, chance to they're win afraid games. Of them. Yeah. They're whatever. absolutely afraid of Bill. Dude, you just said it. They let him on the NFL 100, and yeah, it's because he's the greatest coach. But everybody's afraid of Bill. They're going to be like, Bill, Annoying. we're going to suspend you. He's going to be like, No, you're not. You're going to be like, You're right. We're going to. Uh, <laughs> we're going to find your team. That's what we're going to do. Cares, it'll, it'll be a five hundred thousand dollar fine again to a billionaire. Oh god, yeah. terrible! He paid more than that for his flight down to Florida before. The oh, AC Juniper! Game. Oh, oh my god, you're um, a savage! For all that. right, let's start it out here. Questions from around the league or things that are on my mind or just random nonsense for you guys, Alex Boone and Courtney Cronin. Uh, Odell Beckham has apparently been telling players on other teams after Browns games, "Come get me." He unaware that there are microphones on the field, apparently, mm. had mm. said it to Jimmy Garoppolo. Come mm. get me. So he clearly wants out of Cleveland. Stunner there, right? Especially since Baker Mayfield revealed that they mishandled his injury. Things are going great in Cleveland. Um, Alex, what do we think Odell Beckham's legacy ends up being at the end of his career, assuming he doesn't play in Cleveland anymore after this? Um, what, 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 how do we end up looking at Odell Beckham? You know, if it's me as a player, I'm kind of pissed. Because, listen, dude, you're getting paid $90 million to tote the rock or not tote the rock. Shut the hell up. All right? I want out. I want this. I want this. You sound like one of my kids. Okay? That's <laughs> annoying. It's so annoying when you hear players like, I want out. I don't want to be here. Dude, 
There's the door. Walk out it. We don't want you here. Like, at some times you have to just ride or die with your team. Like, hey, listen, things didn't go well. I'm hurt. Whatever it is. Enough with the come get me. I'm here. Oh, I want out. I want out. Dude, if I'm a teammate, I'm seriously pissed. Because that. what are we doing here? If you don't want to be here, then why are you showing up? If, if you're getting paid $90 million to not want to be here, what is wrong with the system? I don't. That always has pissed me off, though. And if you don't want to be here, why are you setting yourself up to be in a place right. like Cleveland where you... Well, he got himself traded out of New York. Well, yeah, so. I mean, that's well, where it all started be so good. because he and, he and Lil Wayne decided to have a, a sit-down interview where he aired out all of his grievances with Eli Against Manning royalty. and the Giants. So he put himself in this situation. Like, the way I look at this, because I thought about this a l- when I got your hot routes earlier, um, with the Mike Evans situation in Tampa Bay, I mean, he's stayed there. He was drafted by them. He stayed there. He's played out you know, the entirety of the early part of his career. And yeah, some people are going to argue that it's been wasted and he needs to get out of there. And apparently, reportedly now, he will get out of there. But Odell Beckham got out of a situation he didn't want to be in. He wanted to go to Cleveland. He wanted right. to play with Jarvis Landry. He wanted to be part of this uh, super team that they were building. And now he realizes that the grass isn't always greener. Well, tough. Does uh, anybody want to answer the question from Hot Routes? Does anybody? We just did. No, you I just think the leg about Odell Beckham. His legacy will be tarnished because yeah. people are going to be like, dude, what the hell? You're never he happy. He needs to be in a place where he's perfect, right. where everything's perfect. Sorry, what, this is the real what, world. Right, and what team's going to be like, you know what? I want that on my team. I want to deal with that problem, too, when we start to go under. That's exactly how I want to deal. This is what guys don't understand is their social media and the way they act, the way you walk after a play now can get you in trouble. Guys don't understand that everybody has a finger and everybody wants to criticize and be like, dude, it's his fault. Look, he's not as energetic as anybody else. When you're jumping around and like, hey, I don't want to be here, and you throw royalty under the bus, and they're like, all right, man, you're gone. And then you go to a team, and they're supposed to be the best, and they suck, and you're like, hey, I want out. People are going to be like, dude, what's the common denominator here? Anybody get it? So I think it's very possible that his legacy does end up being diva wide receiver that nobody could get along with, yada, yada, yada. Also equally as possible that he does go somewhere else, that someone does come get him, and he's in the Hall of Fame, I think, because of his talent. Belichick would be someone who would do this, (laughs) and I think he did inquire when he was with the Giants about potentially trading for Odell Beckham, because you go from the Giants, who are 2-11, and who can't even give, which I'll get to, Eli Manning a last chance at winning a game last night, and who are run so poorly, and David Gettleman is completely clueless, right? And then he goes to... A, a, a team where the head coach is wearing a T-shirt that says the other team did it when his guy hit somebody in the head with a helmet and did one of the worst things that's ever happened on a sports field ever. My like, daughter made me wear it. I, I'm, I'm just saying it reminds me a little bit of the Chappelle skit where they put the, the guy in the, the house and then they stab his dad and he goes crazy <laughs> and all that. So, like, it's the same sort of thing. He's played for two of the worst organizations. And I hope whatever his next one is, he gets a chance to just show his talent. Um our, our next hot route here. The NFL reportedly planning a top-to-bottom review of officiate. Well, congratulations to we NFL. Go. Thank there you so much. Thank you for honoring us with a review of officiating, as if you shouldn't have been doing that already. I want you guys to give me the one thing. If I made you Alberto, if you were Alberto Riveron, you could fix one thing. What would it be? You want to go first, Courtney? Sure. It would not. It would be calling D, not calling D Ford offsides in that game. Wonder why? Oh, I see. You took this in a different direction. You took you took it the direction of I'm just trying like to be that one play. No, well, no, not necessarily. I'm be, kind of being a jerk right now and saying stop favoring. Then it the was Patriots. a forward pass. All right, then I'll fix that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop giving the Patriots a bunch of easy outs. 
They did screw the Patriots this week. I'm just they saying. Did. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Maybe, maybe they knew that they had been filming, and they were like, all right, let's <laughs> we're going to get them back. It's off the table now. Um, but is there is there a rule that you need change? I mean, obviously, we're going to be looking at pass interference again and again and again until they get Sky Judge. So until that happens, I'm just going to say that, and then I'm going to table the rest. Alex? I, I, I leave mine to Jonathan, because he has a great one that I think... Uh, when he said it, I instantly died laughing because there are times in the game where I've actually thought this in my mind, but been like, I'm too, I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to say anything. Yet. <laughs> Are you saying I'm dumb for having this? No, one? no, no. Like I was going to say something to the ref, and I was like, don't do that, baby. That's not smart. That's that's okay, dumb. Okay, what is it, Jonathan? Uh, Walt Anderson is 67 years old. I think there needs to be an age limit on refs. Like, oh, you're asking yeah, guys okay. who are 70 years old to keep up with. Guys who are essentially superhumans. Like these guys are freakishly athletic, and guys who are 70 years old are trying to tell guys who are superhumans to stay within the letter of the law down to the minutest of details. I think there's, you gotta slim down the playbook, and you also gotta have. An agent. But basically, like, take the keys away from grandpa option. Yeah. Yes. That sounds, that sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen, <laughs> yes. but I understand where you're that, coming from. That's fair. Look, I'm a but soccer he- guy. FIFA had a rule for the longest time that refs couldn't be over 43 years old, and it worked. Well, FIFA well, is also a yeah. very corrupt organization yeah, run by an absolute moron. Yes, so, fair enough. I mean, but, but some people might say the same thing about the NFL. I digress. I, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's fair. All right, what would it be for you, Alex? Uh, I wanted, I'm going to steal another one from Jonathan because he had another great one. I want to take away the ability of Alberto <laughs> to review the plays, and I want to give it to Roger. I want to give want the, Roger to do yes, the reviews. Yes, I do. I what want people to hate him even Does more. Does anyone know? He sits in the suite during games. He, he sits there and pretends like he works. He wears the same outfit every time, too. It drives <laughs> me nuts. Like, dude, change your getup, please. <laughs> Uh, I was gonna go with holding. Like I just, you know, sometimes holding. I, yeah, I just uh, they they were calling it a lot this year. They've chilled a little bit, but um, I'm not sure that they've ever figured out what holding is and how to call it. And if I were to review something, I would want to make it extremely clear because it's the worst thing in the world when you have a great play and they're like, no nope, holding. And even if it's obvious. It's just that if you're a fan of the game, it's just killer. Like, come on, come on. I don't care. I need it to be involved with the actual play. How about that? I would make that change. If you're holding someone halfway across the field, like the one they called on the Vikings, Anthony Harris, on the first drive in Chicago, if if you're holding someone on the complete other side of the field and it had nothing to do with the play, then just don't call it. Hate that. That is the worst. Our next one here. Pat Shermer last night. Love you, Pat. But uh, what are you doing? He robbed Eli Manning of a chance to go out there for a very cool moment. All he had to do was go for it on fourth and three while having a team that's terrible and you should just take a shot at it. But instead, he had to punt because football, you have to punt every time. Um, do you, though? Yes, you do. According to the yeah. football men, you have to punt every time, no matter what, even if you're 2-10. and ten. Anyway. Not John Harbaugh. I was I was very upset by this. Not John Harbaugh and his team wins. It's just give Eli his shot. This might be his last game. Let him try to get a game-winning drive. And you know what? If he spikes the ball on the ground on fourth and three and the Eagles win, who cares? At least you did Eli right. Now, uh, after that loss, Eli has a losing record for his career. Here's what I want you guys to tell me. If he does get into the Hall of Fame, will he be the worst quarterback in the Hall of Fame? Maybe on par with Warren Moon. I mean, I think that that's kind of the other controversial ish because you're taking, well, you're talking, you're looking at where he also got some of his stats from Canada. Like, pro football is not just United States football. Warren Moon is a nine time pro bowler. (sighs) 
I, well, Eli's been in the Pro Bowl, too, and he's won Super Bowls. You don't just magically... Yeah. Get, like, Richard Sherman had a good tweet about it today, that you don't just, like, get these things out of thin air. Like, he's right. won Super Bowls. Like... But I still think that when you're going to, like, rank people... I mean, some people look at Troy Aikman and say that that was a questionable decision to put him in the hall. those people are wrong, and that's a garbage day. I agree. I agree. But I think that that's always going to be one of those, like, hot topics. And, of course, Eli's going to be looked at as one of the bottom-tier Hall of Fame guys. But he still has Super Bowl rings, and other quarterbacks don't. So, what, you think he wouldn't be the worst... Alex? No, absolutely not. There's a I mean, tier. He's, he's, dude, yeah, he, there, there isn't even a tier. Like, he has two Super Bowl rings, and he can simply be like, listen, dude, I don't care what you think. I'm in the Hall of Fame. Like, when you start tearing off the Hall of Fame, then it starts becoming another weird aspect. Like, do we make a Hall of Fame for the Hall of Famers? Do we make an <laughs> ultimate Hall of Fame? No, you're a Hall of Famer. Once you get in, big dog, you're in. You're good. You are a GOAT status so here's my thing with eli that's hard for me to deal with i think he's he would be better than kurt warner i think he has a better case for the hall of fame than kurt warner because kurt warner had only like four good seasons in his whole career and then a lot of junk in between he had three good years with the rams that was about it and then he comes back at the end he doesn't even win that super bowl and he still ends up kind of getting credit for it so i've Never really quite understood that. A, a Hall of Very Good player, I thought, for Kurt Warner. With Eli Manning, from 2005 to 2012, he's a great quarterback. I mean, he goes 77-51 as a starter, and he's consistently, like you said, he's in the Pro Bowl. He ha- is operating really good offenses. Since 2012, he is 38-60 and 60 as a starter. Like, the, the bottom half of his career has made people think that Eli Manning was complete garbage. But he really wasn't. And also, a guy who threw more interceptions than most because he was willing to take risks. And, you know, when I watch washed Aaron Rodgers play and not ever throw interceptions, <laughs> but also throws the ball away every other drop back, like, congratulations on not throwing picks. But I'd rather watch Eli Manning, like, huck it down the field when he's in Keep trouble. Up there. Yes. So, yeah. And the other thing, too, is a lot of numbers people will say, Oh, well, you can't let Super Bowls determine stuff. That's the reason we're all here. And if you can beat cheating Belichick twice and win the MVP, okay, you know, there could be random pop-ups. There could be a Trent Dilfer. Beating Brady and Belichick two times, being the MVP twice, that's that's no joke there. So I I could see a case for him in the Hall of Fame. I might not necessarily do it, um, but I I think he's got a better argument than Kurt Warner. Uh, Next one here. And we'll go quick on these last two. Jerry Jones says he hasn't met with Urban Meyer. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. I believe that like I believe that Belichick never saw the tape of Cincinnati's signals. (laughs) Um, No, they took the SD card. Didn't you hear them? That's right. So he won't ever ever see it, potentially. But I'm sure he already did. I'm sure he already did. Who's coaching Dallas next year? It ain't Jason Garrett, even if they make the playoffs. Kellen Moore. I feel like he's been been set up for that. What? What? You guys don't think that he's the next in line? Are you serious? No. Oh, my God. What? No, I'm going with Kellen Moore. If you, I could say Lincoln Ooh. Riley because he did that interview what? on Sunday from the plane, which we thought might be Jerry Jones's plane. That's weird. I'm going with Kellen Moore. He's been in, he was set up for this. He's in line to take over. He's got Dak. They're gonna they're gonna pay him. They're gonna franchise him. Only former backups can now be coaches for Dallas. <laughs> yeah, so. why not? I mean, he's the offensive coordinator. Why not? Who do you think, Alex? Uh, Ron Rivera. Uh, I bet you they're going to go riverboat Ron somewhere down that road. I mean, this is a young defense. They can keep Kellen Moore. Um, I, I think that if for them they need to – I mean, 
they're in such a conundrum with me because they're a good team at times and they're a bad team at times. And a lot of that falls on leadership. And a lot of that is yeah. like, hey, how do you get your team up, right? Clearly, they have one of the best rostered teams in the NFL. Jerry is extremely smart. And he's about to fall into a lot of money. So he's going to be like, listen, how are we going to do this? Just watch me. But for that, he needs somebody that can grab the bull by the horns and be like, here's the deal. We're going this way. And if you're not going this way with us, then you can go that way with Jerry. That's why I say Ron. He needs somebody that's experienced. I think the younger trend is great, but some of these teams need a vocal leader, need somebody that's really going to grasp them and be like, listen, this is how we got to do things. I know how you did it before, but this is a new way of doing it. Plus, the defense is so primed that they need a defensive-minded guy in there. I'm going to say Urban Meyer because Jerry Jones said he hasn't talked to Urban Meyer, and I think that's a complete lie. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you, too. That could be it. No. Jerry needs, Jerry Jerry needs would you somebody tell? who will stand up to Jerry. He basically needs Never somebody that, I know, but like yeah, he needs, probably not, but ever. Ron could be that guy. Yeah, no, Ron is a no-nonsense guy. He could, he could have guy. credibility, though, at least. You, you could be a no-nonsense guy, but when it comes to the owner, that's a different story. Like, you're, There's no being no-nonsense with the owner. Hey, uh, uh, what's going on now that you mind your business? What? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right, Sorry. I thought, right. Like, Jerry you, Jones still <laughs> doing interviews after games is one of the most bizarre things. Like, this is no, right out great. of the 70s. I know, it's but it's amazing. just like Jason Garrett seems to go into the fetal position every oh, single yeah, time something's brought up about his job security or jerry yeah. jones and it just kind of seems like there's some not so kind words that i could use for what i think jason garrett is in this situation but it just seems Ooh. like he will just has no spine no backbone and i'm not saying you have to go and fight the owner no yeah. but you gotta be tough ron, ron rivera seems like a no bs like okay thank you for your concern we're gonna do it my way all right Ooh. final one here last night almost was a dream for me like just a football dream Josh McCown nearly had to play receiver for the Eagles. They got so many receivers hurt that Josh McCown had his helmet on and was ready to go play receiver, which he had actually done in a game once before with the Detroit Lions, that they became so frustrated with the receivers, they put out Josh McCown, and he made a catch. Um, I want you guys to give me one player, and historically current, that you wish played a different position in the NFL just to see what it would have looked like. Go ahead, Alex. I'm going to say Sean Hill. Sean Hill playing what? Anything. Anything (laughs) other than quarterback. Just be... I know. You laugh. But here... (laughs) Listen. You laugh because we know Sean. People don't get how Sean was. Like, he was just the most chill dude in every room. And he'd be like, sure, man. Whatever. And when they... I remember the year we played the Titans and he got that start. Dude, that was the greatest huddle I'd ever been a part of because he was just so like, all right, here's the deal. Don't get hit. All right, ready? We need to get Sean on the show. You, like, that we needs gotta, to happen. We should call Sean. He's, dude, I love I saw him, and the funny thing was I played with him early in his career in San Fran when That's I was right. there. And then we met up late in his career and late in my career. I was like, dude, this is so – he was like, hey, man, how you doing? Like, Sean Hill at so linebacker. Funny. Oh, oh my God, that'd be great. How about you? Um, I think I'd do anything of like a Warren Sapp, Vince Wilfork, just playing on the other side of the line. I'd love to see gigantic human beings play offensive line. I don't know, Alex, you might not agree with that, but I just think that'd be cool to see a defensive tackle, like a zero tech, like They're line up at like left guard. No? No, we used to make him come over and play. It was hysterical. That's what I think. They can't the, get the, into the a stance, visual right? I have like, there. They have no so anchor funny. point, right? Isn't that isn't that they can't get low enough? Well, they don't like know how to go backwards. Like, we used to make them pass that. We used to make them pass that. Like, dude, let's flip the rolls. They'd be like, no, 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 man, let's not do that. And so finally, one time we got them to, and it was hysterical because they look like robots, like trying to go backwards and they, like fall over. <laughs> two brain can't do two things at once. You know how it is. What do you think, Jonathan? Uh, mine would have been. Sort of along the similar lines of of defensive linemen over a, as a running back. 
Just oh, put those course, guys, yeah. not as a fullback, which we see all the time at the goal line. I want them as a fullback, seven yards, give them a seven-yard run-up, and just crash into the like line. Like hand it to Linval. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Either give it to Aaron Donald, who's freakishly athletic, or give it to someone big like Vince Wilford. Now that'd be fun. I, I, so I discovered that Linval scored a touchdown in college, and I said to him just one day in the locker room, just standing there, I was like, you scored a touchdown in college? He just looked at me and goes, yeah, it was great. And I was like, <laughs> okay, all right. And then he just walked away. I was like... That's that is Linval Joseph, everyone. That's exactly how he is. Uh, all right, I, I went with. Um, I would have liked to have seen Randy Moss play quarterback. He threw two touchdowns, I believe, in his career, and one of them he was rolling out, and there was pressure. It was one of those reverse throws for the wide receiver, and there was pressure, and he was fading away and threw it thirty-five yards in the back of the end zone. It was this beautiful throw. Randy Moss would be like what a better Lamar Jackson. If he was a quarterback instead of a wide receiver, yeah, it would have been insane. For sure, for sure. He definitely. I mean, talk about an athlete too. My there's, God, there's so many guys I would have liked to see, like Bo Jackson with the with the rocket launcher, the Major League Baseball amazing arm playing quarterback. So, um, anyway, uh, a few that came in: Kelvin Johnson at defensive end. Maybe he yeah. could have been like a linebacker. Like an edge rusher? That was one I thought some people were going to, when you put that out there, I thought some people were going to say that. That's a good one. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Alex, you hanging around? You got to run? I'm out of here, boys and girls. Okay, all right, go raise your kids or whatever. (laughs) Do whatever you got to do. You guys have been great. (laughs) All right, this was fun, Alex. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. We'll be right back and uh, get back to some Vikings talk. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Download the Score North mobile app and register for listening rewards because this month one lucky app user will win a $200 Amazon.com gift card just for having and registering their Score North mobile app. You'll also have the chance at many other great prizes just for listening. All you have to do is download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards or just listen to at scorenorth.com and you have your chance to win a $200 Amazon.com gift card. Again, just for having and registering the Score North mobile app. Mike Zimmer talked to the media yesterday, talked about bouncing back from Seattle loss this last weekend, or the Seattle loss two weeks ago, and getting a 20-7 to win over Detroit. Here's what he said. I, I like this team. I mean, they come in here and they work. They, 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 I think they understand what's at stake every single week. Um, you know, the games that we've lost, we've, we've been close ball games. And then... Um, you know, and and then, but we found ways, and it seems like we find different ways to win all the time. You know, this week we got some turnovers, and we we played really good on defense, and you know, offense was just okay, really, most of the day. Um, you know, and there's been times when the offense has been great, and the defense has been just okay. So, um, you know, the more ways that we can find ways to win, I think is important, and I think they have confidence that. Regard, you know, like the Denver game, we're down twenty to twenty to zip, and we're able to come back or whatever it was. Um, you know, find ways to keep fighting and and keep trying to score points and win games. That's been your score north download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin. Again, if you missed our conversation with Terrence Newman, really enjoyed that earlier in the show. So go to wherever you podcasts. Type in Purple Daily. You can hear it in our first hour with Courtney, myself, and Alex Boone. Um, all right, Courtney, I want to discuss uh, something, but we were just talking off the air about Zimmer and what he was saying about the offense. So now I got discombobulated. So let's talk Stephon about Diggs. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Well, I mean, Zimmer saying that the offense was just okay. 
I don't really agree with that. I thought it was great. I mean, I thought they could have easily scored 40 or 50 points. They got ahead. They moved the ball. They found a bunch of different people. Cousins played totally fine aside from almost throwing a pick six once. But when we're to the point of criticizing one play that nothing really happened, that's kind of nitpicky. And uh, they did the right thing by just getting up against a team that was never going to score on them and handing it off. And um, I I guess I'll, I'll stay consistent with that was like a 2015 game. Where you didn't come away just going, boring. wow, like, look at all these great stats. You just said, well, that you did exactly what you were supposed to do. You and, won. And that's what Mike Zimmer wants, right? Like a conservative approach on offense where you can just hand the ball off a bunch of times in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I think Kirk only threw two passes in the fourth quarter. Like, why are you complaining? This is what you want. Yeah, like, calling it just okay was kind of funny. It's well, like you you stopped playing after three quarters. Yeah, I, I don't think there was anything. I mean, they, they struggled on third down. Like, there was that yeah. takeaway offensively. But I don't think there was anything to write home about. It wasn't like this extraordinary offensive performance. I mean, digs outside of the 43-yard reception. Like, nothing was that explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, if you don't need to be, like, let's go back to Atlanta week one. If you don't need to throw the ball... You're going to run the ball and run the clock out because exactly. you're going to try to get out of there with a W. Like, why? It and I appreciate like, that when it's 20 to 7 and I can't stand watching the Lions play football anymore just and they just the run the clock. clock. Like, yeah. Uh, well, you wanted to talk about Stephon Diggs, though, and the way he's performed this year. Now, they were able to get him the ball on a deep pass, mm-hmm. and, and that was a big play in the game. But overall, I thought that they were getting him more intermediate stuff in that game, which has to be the adjustment. When I watched the tape back this morning, what I saw is Detroit was dropping everybody. They were dropping way back. So you saw some checkdowns to Madison, to Delvin Cook, turn into 10-yard plays underneath because they had two safeties deep. The linebackers were dropping deep. They were saying, we're going to try and take digs away. And once they forgot to, and he made an amazing catch. But we're seeing this more and more, and I wonder how this is going to translate to these last couple games, Courtney, that opponents are very clearly putting extra people back there to try and reduce the number of deep shots to digs. Well, it seems like it's kind of flipped a little bit, just with the usage of Dalvin Cook. Like, not saying that teams have quote-unquote figured him out, because he can still win fully healthy. I mean, he had a full workload this this past game, despite Mm -hmm. the clavicle shoulder chest injury. Um, But he still wasn't really what we've seen in other games where he's been this dynamic, explosive player making people miss in the open field. I think teams have kind of figured it out. Like, okay, how do we have to limit him coming out of the backfield? How many guys do we need to put in the box? But that also, at times, has exposed them on the back end. So I'm curious now that they're figuring out, hey, when we do that, that's leaving Diggs and Thielen when applicable. Um, that's leaving them open to, to, to beat our safeties deep if you're going with a too high look to do a lot of different things. Um, so I'm curious, like, does this offense, when Adam Thielen comes back from injury, maybe it's this week against the Chargers, maybe it's not till Green Bay, maybe it's not till the playoffs, will we start to see Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen's numbers dip a little bit because teams are going to look at that and say, okay, now that they've got two fully healthy receivers – we can let Dalvin. We can. We can let. We don't have to key in on them. We have to take those two away. Uh, got in a, a stat here, as you mentioned, Cook, and we can get back to Diggs and Thielen sure. relationship here when they get Thielen back, if they do, because we still don't know, and we'll start to find out at practice tomorrow whether he's actually practicing again with his hamstring injury. But I, I just want you to tell me if you make anything of this stat or shrug your shoulders. Last six games for Delvin Cook, yards per attempt, three point five. 
Still has five touchdowns, still averaging 11 yards per catch, and has been a big impact player there, which is probably why we haven't really said anything about the less effective running game. Is that a thing? Do you think that that's just sort of how seasons go? He wasn't going to average six yards a carry for the whole year. Um, There's ups and downs. But there hasn't been a game where he's averaged more than 4.3 yards a carry since week seven. I mean, this is kind of what you expect, right? Like, as you face really good defenses, and they've had that over the last, what'd you say, last five, six games? I mean, they've had, I wouldn't say great Aside from Detroit. Yes, aside from Detroit. But you've had good defenses. You had to go on the road. I mean, like, you had to play in Kansas City. You had to play in Dallas. You had to play uh, in Seattle. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. I don't think anybody really thought that this, because they are so multiple on offense, that this was going to be totally sustainable. That's not taking away from his what he's done this year. It's just it's not the MVP level thing that was going on for the first half of the season. Right. I mean, with, with Dalvin, this offense is still built around him, but they're in a good position where they don't have to rely on him. Like, let's say he wasn't completely good to go, like against um, Detroit. Like, he he was fine. He, play, he As I said, he handled the full workload, but had they been in that position where it's like, man, even against this team, we really, really need Dalvin because we can't rely on Kirk, we can't rely on the tight end group and, and, and the screen game and, and things that have gotten them going in the absence of Dalvin just because teams are keying in on him before, but then they'd be in trouble, but they're fine. So I don't I don't think it's anything to be super concerned about. It's just... Like, I know it's kind of a cliche thing. Well, we change our identity based on who the opponent is. Well, honestly, really good teams are able to do that. Multiple teams are able to do that. Teams that have a lot of weapons around them are able to do that. Like, if you're stuck on one thing, it's probably because you just don't have the the horses to do it. Interesting to me that early in the season, they didn't throw him the ball that much. And then recently, he had a couple of games with seven targets. Of course, against Detroit, they didn't throw him the ball very often. Um, but a couple against Seattle in that first half probably would have ended up with something like six or eight targets that they've had to kind of tweak how they get him the ball because clearly teams are putting so much focus into stopping him. I just thought it was interesting that Detroit didn't get run over by him by any means. He averaged 3.4 yards per attempt. And they also, you felt like if they had some better players and could get an edge rush, maybe at maybe some point in that game. hurt every other play. Yes, yes. Uh, business decisions going on there. If uh, if they would have slowed the Vikings down even more uh, on offense, like if Detroit did lay out some things, or that if we've seen over the last few weeks, laid out some things where teams can slow down Delvin a little bit and try to put people over the top of Stephon Diggs. It doesn't make it impossible, but it doesn't make it as easy as it did, say, when they played Philly or when they played Detroit for the first time. And it was single high safety, and it was one-on-one matchups, and Diggs was just winning them all over the place. I think we're seeing less of that now, and... We're going to have to see an adjustment by the Vikings, even though their offense has been good enough at Seattle, good enough at Detroit. You didn't have the same feeling you did earlier in the in that stretch where they were just lighting it up like crazy with Delvin and with the passing game. They haven't been as explosive, I'd say, since... I mean, do you count what happened in the second half there against the Broncos as explosive? I count that as desperation mode. Yeah. Like when they're, yeah. when they're leading the pack, when they're getting out, using their passing game to get out to a 14 to zero lead in Dallas, like that's, that's what I think you want to see more of. And that's kind of what's this element that has been missing the last few weeks. 
Yeah, no, I I think so too. And I did a piece on uh, Diggs and the deep ball mm-hmm. uh, heading into this game, just showing that Seattle was making sure they had two people over the top of him all the time to not give up the deep ball. And even his numbers going into this last game, and again, two unbelievable catches he made yeah. over uh, against Darius Slay, who's a great player. So he's got the talent, just like most top-notch wide receivers do, to still dominate even if they're covering him differently. But even his stats over the last couple of games, aside from the second half of Denver, had been, okay, Not just not as impressive, not as many shots down the field, not as many opportunities to get him the ball deep. And now you're going to play a Chargers team that is okay on defense, probably mid-pack, and then two teams that really shut you down in the final two weeks, and I'm very interested to see how they play Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I mean, and how does what does his role become? Because I know that we talked about this with Mike Zimmer when it looked like Thielen had a chance early that mm-hmm. week to come back against Seattle uh, before he suffered the minor setback in practice. Um, like, what does the offense... I don't think it's as easy as people think, oh, well, you have a superstar wide receiver, you just mix him back in there. Right, like, yeah. It, it's... You you take shape and you don't want to all of a sudden just like throw it out and be like, oh, Thielen's back. BC, go back to whatever you were doing. Irv right. Smith will catch you every once uh, once every two games, like that type of stuff. Like, it, I, I think that that's where I struggle with it because it's like, what does this offense actually become? Like, Stephon Diggs has been really darn good in Adam Thielen's absence when if the roles were reversed and we've seen the roles reversed where Adam Thielen has not been so great and not been is is able to able to do as much being targeted and, and keyed in on by multiple defenders in Diggs' absence over the last two seasons. So I mean, I'm not so sure that this passing game just becomes like this like dynamic explosive attack where they're scoring four passing touchdowns a game just when Thielen comes back. I think that there's a way to work that in, but it's not going to be just as simple and seamless as many think. If that makes sense. Uh, I, I have a question that is not related to this. So I, I am fascinated by that as well. Like, how do they get him in and still keep everyone else involved? Yeah. Like, does Thielen have to be a guy that sacrifices himself a little bit here? Because all of a sudden, you know, Tyler Conklin's open and you throw it to him because he's a pretty good receiving tight end. And Irv Smith, like you said, he's getting open all the time. And, and so you have, you can never have too many good players, uh, but you're bringing back someone who demands the football and that the other team knows demands the football. And I think they should still continue to spread it out and then mix up the deep shots between Diggs and Thielen and kind of spread those out between, let's say you plan on six to eight deep shots a game. Well, instead of all of them going to Diggs, now you try to work them to whatever side as opposed to we're just going to force it to Diggs. Um, But they've had so many people step up this year that are not named Stefan Diggs, that's why they've been able to sustain this success, and it can up- upset things a little bit um, with Thielen coming back. Like you said, it's not just snap your fingers, say, you got a great player back, you'll be fine. Well, we'll see how they integrate Thielen back in, because they did have some rough moments with both of them on the field earlier this year. Well, and it's also like starting over at this point of the season, because in a way that would be starting yeah. the next phase, like, okay, well, we were without him for six weeks. They figured right. something out for six weeks. And then all of a sudden having to adjust your play calling, it's not that easy. Like, don't trivialize it. Like, just because you have a good player doesn't mean that you can all... I mean, unless it's a quarterback. When somebody's coming back off injury, of course, it'll give you a boost. But when you have predicated your offense on, okay, we've got a great play-action game, we've got a really good running back. We have a quarterback who has a ton of weapons, has a 
bunch of guys around him. So we need to keep spreading it around because when he's less predictable, this offense can be what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're not having a drop back game where he's dropping back, you know, 70% of the time when he's not constantly relying on Dalvin Cook to, to run the ball 40 times or have 40 to- touches total. Like that's what makes Kirk really good. He's multiple. Yep. That yep. whole cliche of being multiple and having, you know, one football to pass around to all these people <laughs> being a bad, uh, a good problem to have. Um, I just don't know how seamless that's going to be when you have to mix Thielen back in. And I know that that's going to irk people when they think it should be easy. It's, it's just not though, because we've, you know, we've seen it in years past where it has not been that easy. All right. My last thing for the day is, uh, it's come out what the salary cap will be for next year, somewhere between 197 and 201 million. Now, the Minnesota Vikings, as of this moment, this is according to your buddy Field Yates, have the fourth most cap already committed for next year, which is two hundred and three million. So they already have more cap like committed for next year. Eight under right now, like yeah. as it as it currently stands. Before, obviously, that's been factored in. So but. they have already committed more cap space to next year than is going to be cap space next year. Um, what do we need to see in these last three games to make some decisions on some players? Like, who are you watching to see what their their final look? is like as the Vikings have some very serious cap decisions in the offseason. Well, I already have a lot of this decided in my head, but I don't make the decisions, so they're not going to ask true. me. But <laughs> like my, my mind's decided on Xavier Rhodes. My mind is decided yeah. on Linville Joseph. My mind is decided on Riley Reef. Guys that have Now, pretty... Riley Reef is a little bit of a tough one, though. Mm, not for me. Not for me. I think the cap hit is way too high for... Average to above average left tackle. When you have Brian O'Neill waiting in the wings, you can use your second round pick because God knows they're going to go get a corner in the first round to go find his replacement, <laughs> get get another converted tight end who needs a year to add some beef and maybe get thrown in there week seven. You can keep Rashad Hill around. You can find somebody else. But I think the succession plan is in place because I don't know if you want to pay that type of money for Riley Reef when the cap savings, even a post-June 1 designation, is pretty high. Um so that's those are my three. I think you. I think that you can justify the Rudolph contract. Be a, I agree. Like, like we talked if, about, as long as he in, does what he's done this year, yes. just do it again. I think Everson's in a situation now where he can become a free agent. I don't know if they're going to want to. Um, like they've kind of set themselves up, kind of in a win-win situation with him. Like he performs really well this year. That's great. But like, what do we w- expect from him at 32 years old? Is there going to start to be a level off? Like right. they could they could potentially free themselves of that financial burden. Um, there's a lot of ways to fix this. It's just going to be like we've talked about a million times. Is loyalty going to override and kill this team financially and potentially on the field? Um, or are they going to just be able to be like start hacking and realize that you need to trim some of this fat in order to stay afloat and go out and be able to buy players in free agency? So Reef right now by Pro Football Focus is 22nd out of 63 tackles who have played Above this average. Above average. He's That's gonna, hard to find. I know that. but Above he's, average is not easy. Think about what Oakland played for Trent Brown. He's 29th on this list. And if you're talking about just bringing in younger guys, I mean, we've seen that be very hit or miss. Um, Colton Miller is lower than Riley Reef. He was a high draft pick. Your buddy Mike McGlinchey, he was a, a high draft pick. He's lower than Riley Reef is right now. And even though Reef has had some of these injuries... Um, you at least know what you're getting with him if you bring him back next year for the most part. You know you're going to need Rashad Hill for a couple of games a year. You can rely on him. It's hard for me to say at that position when there's just so much value in it. 
that you can roll the dice. That O'Neal is just going to be fine on the other side where I mean, but, it's harder. But you've talked about O'Neal eventually transitioning to left tackle. Why in year three would it not be the right idea? When you have such financial burdens based on your quarterback salary cap hit, and now that he's in this window where there, it doesn't seem like the numbers that he's putting up this year are going to allude to Kirk saying, hey, I'll take a hometown discount. Oh, of course not. Like, of course not. He's going to be pricey to re-sign. So I think that that's something you should worry about and start looking at, hey, what about our older veterans? What about the guys who are going to be on the other side of 30 soon? I mean, the Rhodes one, to me, is a no-brainer. Like, even if Mike Zimmer goes into Rick Spielman's office kicking and screaming and saying, I want him back, you got to be able to tell him no because of the financial liability that comes with a corner of that price. Now, obviously, you're going to be able to get rid of Trey Waynes because you're not going to be able to afford him. You're probably going to give Mackenzie Alexander an extension because it's hard to find a nickel. And he's played really well, and you can probably get him since he is a second-round pick at a lower price. But... To me, the Reef one is one I've been thinking about for a while. I and don't know what more he has to prove, but just to me, the, the, the financial numbers, like, you know what? I can probably develop this. So I also uh, agree with you in that it's something I've looked at for a while. And my expectation was that Reef would start to slip this year. But with the system that they're playing, it seems to fit him really well. And they're not going to stop playing this system. They won't make the same mistake twice. Stefanski will leave, but they're going to play a Shanahan Kubiak West yeah, Coast. They're going to do go this ahead, again. They'll go right. ahead and just continue. They'll keep Gary there. I, I I just feel like it's very difficult to say we're going to be in our Super Bowl window again next year and let's just kind of kick our left tackle to the curb who was 22nd out of 60 in the league. If you're in the top third of the NFL, no, he's not one of the best players in the entire league. But if you are giving us average to slightly above average play at that position, I'm not in a huge hurry to say, unless Trent Williams says, I must play for the Minnesota Vikings next. They have such a great training staff. I must play for them. right? Unless Trent Williams demands to come to Minnesota, then I think I'm sticking with it and hoping that he restructures a little bit. Um, he's in for a $13 million cap yeah. hit. That's a lot. But he has kind of proven himself this year that he does fit pretty well in the system when you don't ask him to just stand there and pass block every single um, time. I, I think he's done a, a decent job. I'd say decent. I mean, like, I've just never... Wa- I just can't oversell on Riley Reef. I never have been able to. I mean, when they signed this guy as a yeah. free agent, it looked like a good deal at the time. It's it's serviceable. It's serviceable. But I think if you have a $13.2 million cap hit and you're on like the hook for 13% of the offensive cap as your left tackle... Like, you better be playing really, really, yeah, really well. Yeah. You better be a franchise left tackle at that point. Well, it's just such a hard position to replace. The answer, if it's not Reef, better be someone you can count on, would be my point. Um, all right, Courtney, good stuff. Good to have you. Uh, we'll see you in Los Angeles on Sunday. And um, if you missed the Terrence Newman interview, make sure you go find it. Type in Purple Daily wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Give us a few stars there. And uh, we will talk to you tomorrow here on Purple Daily. Shopping for the holidays on Instacart and paying with Klarna means you can get gifts delivered in as fast as an hour and spread the payments over time. Which could come in handy if you find out everyone's bringing gifts to a holiday party, even though the invitation said no gifts. I mean, why even bother to say no gifts if you don't mean it, Jennifer? Shop over 900 retailers on Instacart. Pay over time with Klarna. New Instacart customers get $25 off $100 or more when you pay with Klarna using code KLARNA25. Download the Instacart app and start shopping. Terms apply.